0: Hi, everybody. I'm Linda Larell, and this is Our Voices Matter, a podcast dedicated to reminding us of our common humanity. As we all go about uh, navigating our lives in the age of COVID-19, one of the hot topics, of course, is constitutional rights. Um, Most of us are under stay-at-home orders. Uh, Here in Houston today, we are being told that we have to wear masks in public for the next 30 days, and when that order came out, a lot of people were not happy about that. So I invited one of my former guests to come back and talk with us about constitutional rights during a pandemic. So I'm excited to have back with us Justin Dyer, who is the director of the Kinder Institute on Constitutional Democracy at one of my alma maters, University of Missouri, Columbia. So Justin, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show. How are you?
1: LINDA Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing well relative to the circumstances. I'm really glad to be back here and talking with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this as well. So um, you had a webinar this morning where you were talking about constitutional rights, and I got a chance to listen in for a little bit. And um, talk to our audience a little bit, just from your perspective as a professor, talking with uh, uh, undergraduate and graduate students today about where we are as a society with this pandemic and the constitutional rights that we have and what we're all grappling with.
1: One of the things I've been emphasizing to my students throughout the semester, I'm teaching a class called Constitutional Rights right now, and we're going through the whole story of the Constitution, how it's drafted, what the rights provisions were, and one of the things I mentioned today was that the original Constitution actually didn't say much about rights at all. And then, of course, we get the amendments that we end up calling the Bill of Rights. And there's a whole story about how those develop and how we interpret them. But one of the constants that we have throughout our history is that those rights are not absolute, that there are always limits put on those rights for the good of the community. And then the question is always what makes for a reasonable or a justified or an appropriate limit on those rights. And we see this over and over again, particularly in times of crisis where those rights really get tested. I mean, you see this in the Crises that happened politically in the 1790s and some of the issues with freedom of speech. You see it in World War I, you see it in World War II. The Civil War obviously is a big moment of crisis. And you have a lot of instances in American history actually with respect to contagious diseases and outbreaks, epidemics that occur and the question of how we deal with those in a way that respects individual rights and nonetheless protects the community. And so, what we're seeing today is a replay of a conversation that's been going on a long time in American politics.
0: What's being tested in the courts right now, as it relates to this subject matter?
1: You know, there's so many different things going on, but at the state level, what we have are state stay-at-home orders. And so, many of the states, I know Texas has this, and cities as well. The city that I live in, Columbia, had a stay-at-home order. Then the the governor of our state followed suit later. And those orders really do test our constitutional rights and the limits of those rights in all sorts of ways. And so if you have an order that says that you have to be at home, that you can't leave unless there's a good reason to leave, that tests one of the rights that the Supreme Court has held is our right to travel, our right to be mobile, to move about, which is a kind of fundamental and basic human right that the court has recognized and then of course to say that you can't gather together with people in groups of 10 or more or maybe not for any purpose at all outside of your immediate family or the people that you live with that's a huge test to your right to peaceably assemble and if you can't peaceably assemble then you can't protest government policies together in a group you can't show up on government property to protest in a group and so your right to gather together to protest your right to gather together to worship So your religious liberty rights are in question and being restricted for the sake of the the public good and on and on. We have courts that are closed. And so our local judges are not taking the same cases that they were taking. There are some people that are waiting a date for a trial. I was supposed to be on jury duty right now and trials are not going on. So I'm not serving on a jury, which means somebody is not getting a, a speedy trial and they're maybe being incarcerated in a place in which they're more likely to get a communicable disease and not get the Mm -hmm. care they need. There are just so many different ways that people's individual rights are limited by government policy in this area. Now, if you look at the other hand, that government policy might be necessary to save lives, to protect the community. And so that's the tension and the balance that we're in. Yeah. It might be it might be a good policy that's justified for the for the good of the community, but there are real costs there too, and so we have to think about the limits of those policies and how we navigate that whole terrain.
0: Well, that's really at the at the heart of the debate that we're in right now about whether to reopen the country and and all of the different approaches that are being taken. And you mentioned protests, so it was a couple of weeks ago that we first started seeing protests mm-hmm. um, of people gathering and saying we want to get back to work. We want to get back to our lives. And this is too much. um, uh, It's too restrictive. And our rights are being infringed upon. Then you had the president come out and basically say, you know, in support of that, that argument, you know, uh, what did he say? Liberate those three different states, states. Yeah. Yeah. Liberate those states. So I mean, when you hear something like that, and, you, you know, and you understand we all want to get back to life as normal, whatever, you know, probably will never be exactly like it was before, but we all want to get back to some sense of normalcy. But we also want to be healthy and safe. And so, you know, trying to balance those two competing um, choices in the middle of trying to make sure that we all are preserving our rights, not only now, but also in the future, that's the rub, if you will.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And one of the ways that the Supreme Court has addressed this, which I think is actually helpful, and I talked about this in the the webinar today, but they developed a standard of review or a way that they can review some of these cases. If you have a fundamental right that's being restricted, is there a compelling reason for the government to restrict that right? And is the government doing it in the way that's least restrictive of the right in question? In other words, another way they talk about this is, uh, is the government policy narrowly tailored? that's maybe where we could have a productive conversation at the state level. You you have people on both sides. Either government policy is always to be deferred to or these stay-at-home orders are all tyranny, and it's a restriction of our freedom. And somewhere in the middle, we might actually ask about the specifics of the government policy. Is it so broad that it's not actually accomplishing the purpose that it sets out to accomplish? And so if people are actually congregating in groups in all sorts of different areas within the state, some things are off-limits, but other things are not... Some parts of the store are cordoned off, but people are still in the store and maybe in a a smaller square footage area. Maybe we can start asking questions about whether those policies are actually effective in the way that they're supposed to be effective and and whether they're actually advancing the government's compelling interest. That's a different kind of conversation than saying either the government has no authority in this area at all, or no matter what kind of restrictions on liberty the government has to uh, impose on us then we should all follow suit. And I think the, the conversation is starting to go somewhere in the middle. Maybe there are ways in which you can get out, but wear a mask in public, limit the size of the gatherings, have, have some, some distancing when you're in public, start to roll out smaller gatherings in some way. That seems to be where the conversation is going right now. And it's a productive one, but it's difficult because lawyers are not infectious disease specialists and they're not public health specialists and public health specialists aren't Mm -hmm. constitutional lawyers. And so we're trying to balance these very different concerns and these very different values that you have. If you were only concerned about health full stop period or you're only concerned about liberty. Full stop. Period. And I think our policy has to be somewhere in the middle.
0: Well, and the, and the public health officials are are saying we have to let science lead the way. And um, the you know the the other side of that argument is well you know we're ready to get back to work. But again, we we've got to we've got to find out what the what the balance is. One of the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is the. The the, sort of the tension between federal, state, and local, Mm -hmm. because we've gotten, you know, a, a wide variety of orders on what to do at every level of government. And sometimes they're conflicting. So help people understand where the federal government supersedes the state government and where the state government supersedes the local government.
1: Yeah. So in in most of these instances, these are state level decisions. We have the federal government taking the lead in all sorts of ways. You have a, a nightly press conference by the president. You have CDC recommendations that are coming out. But the actual authority to tell people to stay in their homes or to not engage in certain kinds of businesses within the state itself, that's a state level function. And if you look then at state by state, you could look at the individual state constitutions, their own laws, and you could figure out the way in which those decisions are delegated on down to the county and the city level. In a lot of places, there's a, an authority that's dual, both the state as a whole And then the local municipalities will share that authority. So the city of Houston could impose some restrictions on individuals that other cities don't have. And the state as a whole could impose some restrictions on state citizens that other states don't have. The national government, as far as I know, in terms of actual authority, comes through statute. And so you'll have our immigration laws, for example, might give some authority to the president to decide that people from certain countries can't travel into the United States. And so that was the early January travel ban from mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. You also have some authority that's delegated to the CDC to limit travel between states. And so Because the federal government has the authority to regulate commerce among the several states, because commerce includes travel and not just buying and selling goods across state lines, there's some authority there. But as a general rule of thumb, if an activity occurs within a state and doesn't cross state lines, that's a state level issue. And so right now, those kinds of guidelines are state by state. And this is why we see such differences between the right. different states in terms of the how they as
0: they start to roll out their plans for reopening it's different to state by state and then you're also seeing yep. some states band together as a region and try to make uh decisions um yep. you know based on the the neighboring states because it's so easy to cross back and forth.
1: Yeah and this is the governors are communicating back and forth with each other they're coordinating their coordinating strategies mm-hmm. but there is a kind of strange demand sometimes from People in the United States, either for the president to do something that would be a policy for the United States as a whole, or of course, the president's own claim recently that his authority is total, which he had to walk back um, after making that claim. And people pointed out, no, it's not total. In our system, it's not simply the dictate of the president to, to settle policy for everybody in the United States. And so because of that diffusion of authority, we actually have both that trouble coordinating all of these different policies for all 50 states, but also you have the, the kind of flexibility and ingenuity that goes into designing policy that's more precise for very specific geographic regions, which all have their own various levels of infection rates and resources with respect to hospitals and cultures and density of population and all of those things. And of course that differs city by city as well.
0: Would you look back um, over history at uh, previous crises like this, um, what were the constitutional outcomes or repercussions, say, of the last pandemic? What were the lessons learned that we were able to take from years and years ago that sort of infiltrated their way into our system now? And then what do you think will be the lessons learned from this pandemic as we move into the future?
1: I don't actually know about recent pandemic or previous pandemics. As I was thinking about that question, there are moments where we hit crises in American history and often during moments of crises in, of crisis, then you'll have individual rights that are limited in some way. We have some obvious examples of that. They're, always not, they're not always the best examples. The limitations of free speech during World War I offers a a good example for us to think about. Limitations of liberty after 9-11 and during the early years of the War on Terror provide another example of ways in which this often happens. In terms of pandemics, we have in American history quarantines that happen frequently and they have a long history and courts have always upheld quarantines. And so you would have um, the literal quarantining of ships coming into ports where they have to sit for 40 days before they can enter a port. Or you actually have stay-at-home orders, and courts have upheld those as well. One of the cases in 1900 is called Jacobson versus Massachusetts, and it's a direct precedent actually for a lot of the courts right now. That case was about the authority of the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts to require people to have an inoculation against smallpox. And the Supreme Court hears this case, whether or not they violated individual liberty, you know, by fining people for not getting this inoculation. And the court says, no, all rights are subject to limitation for the common good. And they allow this policy to go forward. But in terms of pandemics, I don't actually know. It's an interesting question. We have, of course, the, the Spanish flu, which coincides with World War I. We have a pandemic that sweeps the world in 1958, another one in 1968. And if you go back and, and read some of that, there were, I think, a million people or more who died worldwide from influenza in 1968. But of course, there was a lot going on in the world in 1968. This is the Democratic Convention, riots yeah, and protests in the Chicago, civil rights, yeah. the civil rights movement, and you have assassinations mm-hmm. in America. And mm-hmm. so when you talk to the people that I've talked to who lived through 1968, don't even remember there was
0: no talk of it yeah
1: influenza that year and, and the pandemic mm-hmm. and so I don't know actually what the lessons might be from the way that we've approached pandemics that might be what's unique and novel about our situation is there's so much information available so quickly that we're mm-hmm. focused on it in a way that we probably haven't been in past years even though the fatalities were enormous in those previous pandemics it was just something that didn't gather our attention night after night after night and and fixate uh, our attention on that in terms of government policy in the same kind of way
0: yeah that's that's interesting and of course the technology back then was not you know as immediate Mm -hmm. as it is today i mean Mm -hmm. everything is so instantaneous we can you know speak to people around the world at a moment's notice
1: yeah but the same basic policies were followed so the university of missouri for example shut down during the spanish flu pandemic the churches in town closed the students went home, they came back, they shut down again and went home. Um, Of the 40 or some odd soldiers who died during World War I, if you go back and look at the records, about half of those died of the Spanish flu. So it was a very serious issue and it was a contagious disease. And of course, there's been a lot written about the way that major cities approached or didn't approach trying to mitigate the, the disease when that happened. And so we do have examples and in this weird way given all of our technology and the way that we've advanced in so many different ways in society the ways of mitigating and fighting against these contagious diseases seem to be just about the same as they were 150 years ago
0: it's amazing wow We've got so much to learn. It's going to be very interesting to see how this how this debate unfolds, um, you know, over the years post pandemic. And I, I look forward to to the day when we are post pandemic because I think we're all we're all a little weary right now. But uh, we've got a long fight ahead of us.
1: Yeah, I do too. I hope it's soon.
0: Yeah, I do too, Justin. I want to thank you for taking the time today to, to share your perspective. It's really interesting. You give us a lot to think about, and I know you and you and your students are are um, having some really interesting topics to talk about, uh, given given what we're all living through now. So, um, best to you and your students and your family, and and stay safe. Okay.
1: Thanks, Linda. It's always great to see you.
0: Good to see you too, and thank you for taking the time to watch and listen, for giving Justin permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. Be safe out there. We'll see you next time.